My name is Abdiel Leroy. Author, poet, narrator, voice actor, all-round creative genius. Welcome to episode two of this newly revised, super-duper, deluxe, upgraded version of the podcast, which is coming out now on a weekly basis every Sunday. In each episode, I'll narrate an excerpt from one of my audiobooks, and at the end, I'll let you know about a book giveaway for the following Friday. To start with today, I'm going to quote from The Ballad of Reading Jail by Oscar Wilde, and then do some lines from Dylan Thomas. And I'll be doing these quotations, as always, from memory. Then you'll get a scene from my epic Elijah, book four, in which I've imagined the great prophet going on a shamanic journey. And then I'll finish with some commentary in verse on the latest atrocities by the Saudi regime from my Verses Verses Empire series. Get it? It's a homonym. From the Ballad of Reading Jail by Oscar Wilde Six weeks the prisoner walked the yard in the suit of shabby grey. His cricket cap was on his head and his step seemed light and gay. But I never saw a man who looked so wistfully at the day. I never saw a man who looked with such a wistful eye upon that little tent of blue which prisoners call the sky, and at every wandering cloud that trailed its raveled fleeces by. He did not wring his hands as do those witless men who dare to try to rear the changeling hope in the cave of black despair. He only looked upon the sun and drank the morning air. He did not wring his hands nor weep, nor did he peek or pine, but he drank the air as though it held some healthful anodyne. With open mouth he drank the sun as though it had been wine. And I and all the souls in pain who tramped the other ring forgot if we ourselves had done a great or little thing and watched with gaze of dull amaze the man who had to swing. And strange it was to see him pass with a step so light and gay. And strange it was to see him look so wistfully at the day. And strange it was to think that he had such a debt to pay. For oak and elm have pleasant leaves that in the springtime shoot. But grim to see is the gallows tree with its adder-bitten root. And green or dry, a man must die before it bears its fruit. From Fernhill by Dylan Thomas Now as I was young and easy under the apple boughs about the lilting house, and happy as the grass was green, the night above the dingle starry, Time let me hail and climb, golden in the heydays of his eyes, and honoured among wagons I was prince of the apple towns, and once below a time I lordly had the trees and leaves trail with daisies and barley down the rivers of the windfall light. <laughs> 
One night, as I was heading south, I found a cave at Mount Carmel and spent the night. Not comfortably, of course. Though I'm accustomed to sleeping rough, in caves or under trees, but warily, lest even there the spies of Jezebel might find me. Finally, I fell into a fitful sort of sleep. How long I had lain thus I do not know, when suddenly a hand tugged at my collar that pulled me deeper in the cave. I tried resisting, but I could not move my limbs, nor could I cry out. I was paralysed. Back, back the hand pulled me into a tunnel, and far I went, till just as suddenly the tunnel ended, and I found myself, although I don't remember getting up, standing beside a waterfall in daylight, a lush and verdant place, a steep ravine strewn with old branches, leaves and slippery rocks. The shaded parts were a carpet of moss, the air sweet-scented, rich with mist and rain, and the whole area alive with birdsong. Behind me was the entrance to the tunnel from which I'd come, this place was unlike any I'd ever seen. Another country, surely. Then, hearing footsteps, I looked up and saw a man stood by the edge, broad-shouldered, smiling, the shafts of sunlight mirrored in his eyes. He wore a tunic wrought of coarse grey cloth, and in his left hand held a wooden staff. Moses, I said, not knowing how I knew. He nodded slowly, then reached out his arm. I clambered up the steep and slippery sides to where he took my hand and pulled me up. They called me Moses in a former age. He answered slowly, Here, they call me Merlin. I marvelled at the power of his voice, with which the ground and trees seemed to vibrate. I asked, Where am I? I was in a cave on Mount Carmel, and it was night. But here the sun is high. Such trees I've never seen, nor ever heard birdsong so beautiful. We are not bound by time or place, Elijah. You least of all. We are in Albion, he said, which should be respite from that land parched by your word, barren as it must be. You know my name? I said. Of course, he answered. I've been expecting you, and there is much that I would share with you during your visit. You know then that the land of Israel suffers from drought, I said, but rains will soon return and rivers flow again. Tis so, my guide replied. But ere you call forth rain again, the people must be made to see. See what? This way, he answered. Follow me. Moses set off, threading a zigzag path past ancient trees, whose craggy forms and shapes seemed somehow human, faces made of bark, past hanging strands of ivy, twisted vines, until we reached what seemed a natural temple, a tree that was a woodland in itself with branches sideways grown and back to earth, sowing new roots. Paying it reverence, Moses bowed down and picked up from the ground a fallen branch. I shall take this, he said. You take my staff. 
At first I was reluctant. For who was I to hold the staff of Moses while he held rotten wood? But so intent was he, I neither questioned nor refused. Within the tree's main trunk, wide as a door, and canopied behind a veil of vines, there was an entrance. Moses stepped inside. I followed him into this darkened space, then through the other side, a natural archway, another veil of vines, when suddenly I was enveloped by a dazzling light. We two were standing on Mount Carmel's slope, squinting before the glare of midday sun, surrounded by a rabble, perched on rocks, of noisy birds, not sweetly chirping as the woodland kind we'd left behind, but cackling, cawing cacophony of carrion crows, raucous unruly magpies, jays and jackdaws. Then Moses raised the branch he had been holding and threw it to the ground. Tradition tells of miracles he wrought with his own staff. It turned into a snake, made water flow from rock, parted the sea. But what could this remnant, covered in moss and waterlogged, I was embarrassed as the stick lay still. Nothing was happening. I thought the reason must be because he did not use the one true staff. I tried to give it back to him. He raised his hand to stop me. Your great act must follow. Patience, man. We kept our eyes fixed on this lifeless stump of wood until, and almost imperceptibly at first, the bark turned into scales and it moved writhing and slithering as a body grew. More than a snake, this creature sprouted wings and legs and quickly grew until it stood the height of three men, fearsome to behold. It bellowed loud, fanning its wings, and trod so heavily that all the mountain trembled. Its skin was grey, its eyes translucent globes. I feared this thing, but how much more when from its mouth a legion brood of vipers fell, all squirming there in hissing unison. At this, the crowd of crows surrounding us, stirred by the spectacle, their throats extended, crescendoed to a feverish pitch of hooting. I backed toward the tree through which we'd come, longing again for that luxuriant forest, the moss-covered ravine, the waterfall. Fear not, said Moses as he touched my arm. My fears did quickly melt then, for this beast paid no attention either to him or me. Instead, it started striding in quick circles, roaring the while, and though it flapped its wings, there was no flight. It started blowing air in ineffectual gasps of laboured breath, and as it turned in circles, streaks of blood showed on its skin, its lustrous scales turned dull. Its progeny were also streaked with blood, their bodies writhing as in agony. This prompted from the rabble horde of crows a commentary chorus, louder cackling. Exhausted by its own exertions, then the parent monster fell among its brood and lay there panting on the ground. My guide then turned to me and asked, In Israel, who is the foe of Yahweh? Baal, I answered. Then witness how Yahweh will deal with him. Throw down the staff. I did so eagerly. Immediately it transformed, 
The twists of wood turned into massive coils, great wings unfurled, at which a mighty beast took flight. I gasped to see its majesty undaunted. It circled once, then from its mouth hurled down an avalanche of fire, scorching the other. At this, the impotent first creature screamed, its flailing torches echoing through the mountain. Then swooped the mighty predator, whose talons tore at the flesh of its enfeebled foe, and thrust it down into the valley, where, dashed on the rocks, it met its gory doom. The little ones thereat, like landed fish, were set upon by the unruly birds, a murderous mob of beak and talon, tearing at flesh and gorging on the entrails, smearing a trail of blood that ran across the ground. With that, the mighty beast returned to earth, drew back its wings, and bowed to us. Unsure of what to do, I bowed in turn, a gesture that seemed fitting, as Moses did the same. He touched the creature's snout, whereat the wings fused with the lizard body, and its scales returned to bark. Now Moses held his staff. Elijah, said my guide, remember this. This is your contest. You will set the stage, and on Mount Carmel wield the fire of God. Just as that creature breathing fire? I asked. What was that? It is you, Elijah, you. You may command the fire of heaven to fall and overthrow the followers of Baal. Then Baal was the beast I saw cast down? I asked. Those serpents were his prophets. Yes, Baal could not bring a single drop of rain to Israel, though they call him Lord of rain and dew, for all the rites and rituals of his infernal priests, the prostitution, extortion, even human sacrifice. Expose the impotence of this false god before all Israel, so they will see. But will the people come? I asked. No one has heard from me in years, and I must be despised for calling drought upon the land. Then, smiling, Moses said, I doubted too when Yahweh called on me to speak to Pharaoh. Be not afraid. The people now are seething with hatred for the ways of Baal and all his ilk. Strike now, and Israel, despite the evil inclination of its rulers, shall rally to your cause and do your bidding. Scarce able to take in all I had seen, I nodded vacantly. My teacher turned, and leading me back through the ancient tree, continued his encouragements that I, though facing many, wouldn't be alone. Back through the wood, and thence to the ravine we went, the waterfall, the tunnel entrance. When you go back, remember what you saw, he said. Thank you, I answered, and went in. The tunnel gathered me into itself. I floated back inside the mountain, but something was pressing on my body, cold and hard, I tried to move away from it, then realised I was lying on bare rock, stirring from sleep. On opening my eyes, I saw grey light before me in the cave, and stumbled out into the arid dawn.
There watched the sunrise as I pondered all the myriad images and revelations. This is your contest. You will set the stage. Moses had said, and wield the fire of God. He had a public spectacle in mind. I was to challenge the prophets of Baal, now fortified by what I'd seen, the power of that victorious, fire-breathing beast and Moses' words, though yet I did not see how to assemble all the people, summon the false prophets of Baal and stage a contest. But then I reasoned, as the vision was set out to me, I'd find the means as well. Southwards I pressed on to pursue my course. Murder Most Soud On the Assassination of Jamal Khashoggi King John, and by repute Richard III, echo in the Saudi prince's ploy to silence criticism, put to death dissent, and bump off critics who annoy. A man walked in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul and left in chopped-up pieces, a U.S. resident and columnist, yet Trump's allegiance never ceases. With arms sales, banking interests and oil flowing, he's silent, will not light the two-week fuse, rather extols the tyrant kingdom where women may drive, their right to speak refused. Thus kindred spirits rule for personal gain. Arise the despots round the world again. Murder Most Saud, 2. On the Assassination of Jamal Khashoggi Fifteen assassins of the Saudi state assailed Khashoggi in the consulate, hacked him to pieces while he breathed his last, one sawing bone while others held him fast, for seven tortured minutes on the clock. Even our murderous CIA are shocked. Our so-called Secretary of State, meanwhile, poses for pictures and is seen to smile with Salman and his sinful son who rendered this vile act a living man dismembered. The Saudi prince's own security, thus steeped in gore, blood-stained iniquity. And though they send bleach-wielding cleaning crews, this damned spot won't be scrubbed, read in the news. So that's today's episode. I'll be back next Sunday and also mark your diary for this Friday, October the 26th when you can get a free copy of Elijah from which I just read on Amazon US or Amazon UK. And remember, when you read or listen to one of my books and you enjoy it, make sure to leave a review at Amazon or wherever you buy books. Until next week, this has been all-round creative genius, Abdiel Leroy. <laughs>